Hello and welcome to Speak Female, a podcast for ambitious and career-driven women. Speak Female means changing the meaning around words and phrases that are associated with women, or in fact have a negative association. It is about how we can and will edit the narrative to build a more understanding, diverse and balanced world and of course workplace. In every other episode, I interview an inspirational individual around an array of subjects, from financial independence, being an entrepreneur and women in tech, to transitioning career, female empowerment and mental health. Hello and welcome back to Speak Female. Today I'm joined by my business soul sister, Syra. We met at a networking event for Technology for Good and we instantly clicked. And I'm so happy that she is joining me today on this podcast. Syra, welcome to Speak Female. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honoured to be on your podcast. And I'm honoured that you're joining me. So Syra, let's start with your career journey. You've had such a diverse experience. Talk to us through that whole journey. Wow, I've got to rewind a good few years. Um, to when I qualified as a lawyer. So basically going back then, I I studied law um, as my degree. And um, following law, I did my legal practice course, which is the route to becoming a solicitor. And then I chose to go into family law because it was one of those areas where I felt like I could add a lot of sort of value to. Um, You know, my whole ethos in in life was around helping people um, and putting people at the sort of center of everything I did. So family law made huge sense to me. So I went into family law, um, started as a paralegal, worked my way up to trainee and then eventually qualifying. And that whole journey as as a paralegal, just to find uh, training contracts, just to find firms that will take you, you know, at that time, especially when the financial crisis hit, this is 2009, uh, going back quite a few years, it was really, really difficult because firstly, being a woman in a male, very male dominated industry back then was a huge thing. Um, and secondly, being a ethnic minority in a world where there's a lot of, you know, men, gentlemen clubs and things like that around the legal careers is quite common. So um, it was a bit of a challenge. But eventually when I got my uh, placement, I got a place with a, a really good, really good firm. They took me in and I, pr- I trained there. Now, whilst I was training, whilst I was going through my paralegaling and getting experience here, there and everywhere, there was a lot of junior roles I undertook. And just because you're junior doesn't mean, you know, you're less of a person. Um, But that I found to be very uh, untrue when I went into the legal career. It was a shock to me because um, I thought everyone was very friendly because obviously they're there to help people. I was completely wrong. Some of the firms that I dealt with they really gave me a lot of sort of bad experience. You know, they, they treated me like I was no one. They, um, you know, threw things at me. It wasn't the, the nicest place to be. To cut a long story short, that sort of led me to move out of the legal career and the whole law um, sort of route. And partly because I, I started getting a lot of anxiety back then. And the anxiety was really uh, a cause of all that neglect, the, um, the, the behavior that I was experiencing from my, my own peers and from my own, you know, the partners I'm working with. It caused me to have a, a panic attack eventually. And I just, I thought, you know what, this is not the, this is not the line for me. If this is what everyone's gonna be doing, this is not the line for me. Perhaps I need to change myself. So that caused me to start up my own thing. And I, I stopped practicing and I, I just thought, you know what, I can't give legal advice right now because I, 
I know I need to be in a firm to do that yeah. I can do my own thing in terms of help I can still help people but I can you know not give legal advice probably that's the easiest way to say it and then I started my own company called Advocate Associates and that was all sort of geared up to not provide legal support or legal advice in any way but it was really to help people find a voice for themselves so it's all around advocating for them um, and advocacy for me is you know you're helping someone provide you know helping someone to find their voice and uh, I started working around the local community getting people to uh, understand what their rights were and you know getting people to um, understand you know this is how you'd write a letter of complaint or if you're if you're trying to access a service and you can't do it well I'll help you do it so it was kind of doing little things like that that was really really rewarding because it was the way I, I was taught and it's the way I was brought up so it was really really nice and then um, shortly after that, I started looking into uh, other sort of, you know, other avenues to, to basically make some money because obviously working self-employed wasn't, you know, it wasn't paying the bills. And um, eventually uh, a job in the NHS came up and it was a part-time role. It was to help with a pilot program around integrating care. So in, a, in the NHS, there's a lot of fragmented services. So as a patient, if you think of yourself when you're going um, into the doctor to, you know, get seen as a like me, I'm an asthmatic patient, going in to get your asthma checked, there's various different care uh, providers who are all involved. But the way the NHS was set up back then, um, you know, your services that you're that you're being provided from all these different caregivers, you know, they completely don't connect. They don't connect. Your records are not being shared in a way that it should be shared. All that kind of stuff was happening. And this whole program was around how do we integrate all that um, into one system so you know it doesn't matter where you go as a patient all your care providers are providing one service to you so it was a small little program like that that eventually became a full-time job because I was quite good at what I did um, <laughs> getting all these doctors together and doing all these various multidisciplinary things so that became a full-time job and as they say once you start working in NHS you tend to stay in the NHS for some time um, and then eight years later uh, I, I'm still in the NHS and I'm now a project manager and I start to see um, like sort of a speciality build up. So, you know, I start seeing myself in a lot of projects around digital and this whole idea of how technology can help patients. Um, and that's where I thought, oh, my God, this is so interesting. This is where I want to be because, you know, I'm, I'm such a I'm, I'm not a techie person, but I do like gadgets and I love technology. You know, I use technology every every single time I can. It makes things so much easier. So for me, it was really around um, getting into something where, I know I'm helping people, same ethos I had when I was doing law, but also doing something that's a bit of a hobby. So things around technology. So putting that together, you've got something around digital health and that's where I sort of ended up. So I did a lot of programs around um, how we uh, engage our patients, how we activate um, patient care with digital technology and how we bring people on this journey of digital. Because when we first started in NHS with digital, uh, we were quite behind. You know, we didn't have a lot of systems, things in place that pay patients could use. Professionals and clinicians are using systems all the time, but the patients are very much new to this. You know, we do our shopping, we do our banking, everything online. But when it came to health, you know, what are we accessing online, things like that. So they were the little problems and challenges we had. So I really wanted to get involved. And um, as a project manager, I eventually got into all these projects. I actually led a, a, a massive program around um, digitally activating patients. So it was all about empowering patients. Um, we called it a digital citizen education program. And it was the first of its kind in Northwest London, where I live. And um, we got volunteers and patients from the community trained up as digital ambassadors. No one had ever seen that before. You know, the model itself as digital ambassadors or digital champions has been around for quite quite a while. But um, 
the the way we set the program up was really a first of its kind and I think we've set a precedent now going forward there'll be a lot of people looking to that so that was a huge achievement for us and obviously that that program itself was recognized by um by parliament so we got an NHS parliamentary award for that program saying that this is the future of the NHS you know so you've got the you, you can always put in technology into all these projects but it's really about the people. If you're not bringing the people along with you, you're truly missing a point there. So that's that's where my passion comes from in terms of um, technology and, and, pay, and people. And then soon after the NHS, my contract came to an end and there was a few restructuring things going on. And um, I thought, you know, let's try something different. And I still, and I knew I wanted to stay in tech, but just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I came across a, a company who I had worked with in, um, in my NHS days. And um, they offered me a job as an implementation manager, which is where I am now. It's a huge company. They basically assess health apps and they accredit health apps and they distribute health apps. And it's all about finding safe and secure apps where you can, because, you know, our research showed that it was like 15% actually meet quality standards. Only 15% of the health apps you see on your app stores and your Play Store. So it's a huge, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, so I'm now part of this whole app journey, making people aware that there are there's a place to go to get safe apps. And if you are a developer, there's a place to go to get your app assessed. So um, I do a lot of work around that field. But yeah, it's been a bit of a funny journey. So from law, you know, um, having gone through a bit of mental health with that whole law experience, um, it kind of pushed me to a whole different industry, which is now health and, and tech. But during that journey it taught me a lot and one of the things I've set up due to that whole experience and that whole sort of transition was um, my my brand Dollhouse London. So Dollhouse London is all about women, it's about getting women to connect to one another, having these conversations about you know what what is your true passion in life, you know we go through a lot of different stages in life whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whether it's your you know, relationship life or whatever. But it's all these questions that we always try to unfold, don't we? The, you know, what's your true passion? What are your strengths? You know, are you living the life you want to live? And then alongside all of that, you've got this whole layer of like mental health that comes in all the time. It's always at play. And I wanted to create some sort of platform to really um, get women to think about what they're capable of and what, you know, what they can actually do. And if they can have these meaningful conversations, conversations that people don't always have, you know, having them openly, you're connecting to people who are going through similar things. And that's the one thing I felt like I was missing back when I was experiencing all that stuff within the law time. Um, you know, I didn't have anyone to connect to. I thought I was the only one going through this. And now, you know, in a way, technology has given us this a huge platform to have these conversations and that's why I created Dollhouse London and it's, it's really yeah again to just create creative content for people to to really discuss and, and utilize as they as they wish and to learn from one another hopefully that will empower people going forward. Fantastic thank you for sharing all of that and I just <laughs> wanted to kind of go back to ask you some questions around the safeguarding apps because I was really surprised when I first met you and you did um, that presentation around what you know, apps that are meant to be helping people with their mental health can actually sometimes hinder it too. And I'm just wondering whether you could tell us some kind of just almost that horrifying story that I heard from you. I wonder if you could kind of share that with the listeners. Yeah, there's quite a few stories, actually. And I, I can't remember which one I told you, but I think it was the one around, you know, there, there's um, a few apps on, on the Play Store, on the App Store, where if you Google or if you, sorry, search the, the app that you're looking for, if you type in like, I don't know, mental health into the, the App Store, you'll get a whole range of apps that say they'll deal with mental health, but um, most likely they won't. And we came across this one app that had um, 
guidance and, and sort of step-by-step guide as to how to go and commit suicide. And that was a shocker to me. Mm. I just literally, you know, I was blown by, blown away by the fact that someone could put that out there. And the fact that the governance around the app store and the play store, they, they didn't check that. It wasn't even checked and it wasn't even sort of, you know, that wasn't taken into account. Um, and this app had like four or five star rating. <gasps> Horrifying. And, you know, normally what we as human beings, obviously, when we see a rating for anything yep. and if it's five stars, we tend to we tend to download it or we tend to go onto that site or whatever it is. And what I've learned in, in the company that I work with now, which is Orca, you know, one of the things I've, one of the biggest things I've learned is that the, the star rating that you see on the app stores, um, they don't always correlate to the quality of the yep. app. And, and that's, that's, that's been the huge learning curve for me. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of the stories. The other story um, around uh, apps is um, that there are a few apps that we found which didn't pass our whole you know, scoring system, but um, it was an app where I think it was a diabetes app. So if you put, apparently if you put your um, thumbprint on your phone screen, it would read your blood glucose levels. Oh. yeah it was really silly things like that and you know you've got people who don't know any better yeah. and they'll download it and they'll start doing that and it'll start telling them that their blood glucose level is fine and 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 it might not be fine and that's where you get a lot of um people getting you know getting ill and ending up in hospital because of that just absolutely so horrifying these stories that you're saying and that one that you told me that it was that one about the suicide one um that's the one that stuck with me the most and it was something that I just naively perhaps didn't even think that somebody would do such a thing but how how can I so me now you know you know I'm very big on mental health if I want to download some apps for mental how do I know which are the safest apps for me to download as somebody that perhaps suffers from anxiety and depression so the best way to um, find safe apps would be to go on to um, our platform. So we have um, a, a site called appfinder.orca.co.uk and I can give you the, the link afterwards as well. If you go onto that, it's about £4 per year to literally um, sign up and you have access to the whole full suite of all the apps that we've reviewed. So they're all the apps that have been gone, they've gone through all these different processes, they've checked the clinical assurances, they've checked you know, whether the data privacy is all okay, they've checked about the usability. So all that um, sort of scrutiny has gone, gone on. Um, and we now even have um, sort of uh, extra, sort of extra layer of scrutiny for apps that have deemed themselves as COVID supportive apps. Good. So we've got a whole layer of that as well. And it's just that, that one library has literally all the health apps that you should be looking at. And for me, you know, that app finder is, is basically my health app store almost, yeah. you know, I don't use Google play or app store to, to look for apps I use that library to look for apps and then once I find find the app I then download it via the, the, the app store or the google play perfect what I'll do is with that um app.orca did you say .co.uk app find, yeah app find. I will add that to um the show notes so people that are listening can can do that and actually let's also share that publicly on um, yeah. our profiles as well because I you know I I didn't know anything about that and actually if any Anyone else that's listening can grab that from the show notes as well and share that on your social media. Let's make sure that we're safeguarding people, yeah. definitely people, especially with mental health, because they cannot be downloading apps that, you know, feed into their their, their kind of mindset. I just also wanted to kind of ask you a question a little bit about culture as well. So when you were talking about, you know, working in law and, you know, just just the, the experience that you had and now you know working in the NHS and now working for Orca 
it, it'd be interesting to hear from you. Do you think there's like a, a culture difference as well? And that kind of helps because you've got kind of a bit more of a kinder culture, if I could put it in that way. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. That I mean, that's what I've seen anyway. Um, when I was in like the, the legal field, um, everyone was all about sort of making money. That was their first mm. priority is making money. Um, and whilst I get that, because, you know, you need to make money to keep yourself sustainable and stuff. So that that's fine. Um, but I think, um, you know, you shouldn't forget why you came into that into that field in the first place. Law for me was all about, you know, helping people find justice, helping people access services uh, where they where they couldn't, um, you know, breaking down barriers and things like that. And and I didn't I didn't see that, unfortunately, you know, the, the caseloads that I had. Yes, I, I saw some of that and I was I felt very, very rewarded for it. But, you know, looking around to my my legal peers, I didn't I just didn't see that. I saw everyone just, you know, you know, killing each other, not literally killing mm. everyone over over all this like time billing and all this kind of stuff. And it was it, it just got a bit too much. And I think they forgot about, you know, the person they forgot about the, the core what the core value was there and that's the person and yeah that that to me was was completely um not aligned with my personal sort of values but then when I moved into the NHS obviously the NHS is all about people it's it's not really it's not about making money so it's a public sector and I think maybe that's just that's just the difference you know public sector versus private sector but saying that coming into the the, the field that I'm in now which is health tech and I work in a private sector, but we work uh, on behalf of the government. We work on behalf of the NHS. So mm. now I'm seeing a whole different lesson emerge. You know, private sector in law was completely money making. Public sector NHS for me was all about helping people. Then I came back into the private sector, but we're almost working with the public sector. Yeah. That to me was a new lesson. And that to me was all about, okay, well, you can use um, your the private sector for, for, for public good. And that's what we're doing right now. And I think that's that's why I'm still here where I am in my in the company that I work with, because I, I see that happening. Great. And yeah, and I know that you and I have had conversations before about different cultures and different ways people work. And I and I do think that when you've got a healthier culture, you've got healthier workers. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you said about your values as well. There's something so beautiful about understanding and knowing your values. And then you can always check in with them. So when something's not working for you, you can kind of go, okay, perhaps this isn't aligning with my values. What value is this I'm not aligning with? There's some bits that you've obviously talked about there and you've realised that. And that's fantastic. So thank you for sharing that. So I want to ask you a bit more about Doll's House. I love this concept so much. So what's coming up for the platform? So um, next week, actually, um, and you'll probably be hearing from me by the end of the week, Lucy, because I'd love to, for you to get involved in this. But uh, next week, um, we have self-care uh, week, uh, which is um, well known within the NHS um, sort of uh, industry as well. And um, it's all about self-care. It's all about how we are kind to ourselves. So uh, one of the things I really want to uh, visit uh, in the next coming weeks with Dollhouse is this theme around kindness because um, kindness uh, can mean different things to different people. Um, for me, kindness is all about what, you know, what, how I speak to myself and how I see myself and being kind in the way I, I see myself in the mirror, for example, that, that to me is self-care. Um, but kindness, uh, it, can, it can be a lot of different things for different people. And one of the things I, I wanted to, well, I guess one of the reasons I wanted to visit that was because when we're at home during lockdown and we're with various other family members or friends or whoever we live with sometimes it's easy to burn out and then project that sort of stress onto other people and um, I, I think 
being kind in those times and those sort of episodes in life is really, really important. Um, so I might visit that theme uh, later on. So next week, self-care. And then a few weeks after that will be around kindness. Um, so that's a few things you'll, you can look forward to. Um, one of the things I do really want to do with Dollhouse, though, is um, I was really aiming to have a, a panel um, of different women talking about different things. Um, and I had to put that off because I wanted to do that in person. I just think it would be so amazing. But seeing we're doing things in Zoom and stuff now, maybe we can plan something then. But yeah, that's to be continued on that one. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I absolutely love the idea. We, we've been talking about you having a panel for ages and just being able to listen to other women speak about their own experiences, you just feel less alone. And that is something that you and I talk about a lot is that when you and I share our stories, and that was another reason why I wanted to create this Speak Female podcast as well, is for, for women who are career-driven, ambitious, to listen in and know that they're not alone, to know that, gosh, I went through that. Oh, I want to go and do that. And that's amazing how that person, you know, some something that they can resonate with. So I really, really love your whole concept. But before we kind of wrap up the podcast, I really want you to tell the listeners to why you called it Dollhouse. And I absolutely love your your kind of explanation of it. So over to you. Okay, so the reason I called it Dollhouse was because um, as a child, um, you know, I had a dollhouse. And um, when I used to see the dollhouse, I used to always think that the doll, um, which I sort of identified as me, um, was sort of trapped within these four walls. And when I say trapped, not meaning like, you know, I wasn't abused or I wasn't sort of kept inside or kidnapped or anything like that. But it was more of the fact that you have all these sort of cultural barriers or you have these patriarchy type of um, themes that that family projects on you and mm -hmm. it can sometimes you know hinder your experiences as you're growing up um, so you know growing up if I, if I thought myself as a, if I saw myself as that doll in that house for me those four walls sort of represented different challenges or different uh, barriers to, to learning and to, to experiencing what life was all about um, I was sort of pushed into doing law because it was the thing that we were meant to do as as Asian girls or as Asian guys, you know, it's either a doctor, lawyer or, or um, engineer kind of thing. You know, if you're not any of those, then you haven't really succeeded. Mm. But that's not, and we know that's far from the truth. So, you know, one of those, one of those walls for me was all about, you know, doing what I was told to do, which is do a professional career, which is, you know, I, I'm grateful I did it. But at the end, at the end of the day, I do sometimes question, well, could I have done something else? Or mm. should I have been in a different career? Or, you know, there's so many questions that come up from there. And I think some of the experiences I've had as a child, you know, even not, not even career wise, but other things like, you know, not being able to pursue martial arts because I was a girl, you know, little things like that. It, it, it's those four walls that I think shape you. So as you're growing up in that dollhouse, for me, it's that the four walls that shape you. But I just want people to know that the four walls isn't what will shape you. It's really your own mindset. Yeah. It's all how you feel inside and how you want to experience life. So regardless of the four walls, it's your dollhouse. You make it what you want is basically the principle and the concept that I kind of go with and you know how much I love the concept and I think a lot of people can resonate with that as well because there's certain things in everybody's life that things have shaped them but it's about kind of coming out of that box almost isn't it yeah so Sarah before we do actually fully wrap up on the podcast there was a couple of things I wanted to ask you as well um one of them being around the Black Lives Matter movement that's something diversity and inclusion is a huge thing for us we've been talking about that a lot and I just wanted to kind of hear from you your side 
growing up, your experience of diversity and inclusion, and whether you could share some stuff with the listeners here. Um, yeah, so um, so I, th- I mentioned earlier about the martial arts thing. So that was prime example. As, as I was growing up, there was a few things I really wanted to do. One of the things was I wanted to go into martial arts. You know, I grew up watching Karate Kid. And for me, that was like, yeah, that like I wanted to be that. You know, I wanted to be Danny, you know, the guy. Well, I didn't want to be a guy, but, you know, I wanted to be that <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, growing up wanting to do things like that, you know, asking my parents, can I can I go and join a martial, martial arts club or a, a class or something? Um, my parents were really cool with it. But because we lived in an extended family where I had the grandparents, I had everyone sort of living together, you know, we had to go and culturally, this is how it sometimes works, is that you have to listen to the, the oldest person in the house, which was at the time my grandparents. So, you know, my parents allowed me to go with my cousin brother um, to go and check out a class. And, you know, um, he didn't want to do it. So then I, I wasn't allowed to do it. And I sometimes question whether that was because I was a girl and I was younger or what, you know, what, what was the reasoning behind that? So that to me was what, like the first first point. Um, there's another experience I had where um, even going to law, as I mentioned, it's a very much a, a gentleman's club, uh, lawyers and barristers. Now I think we're seeing more women in, in these sort mm. of professional careers and stuff. But back then, you know, it was fully male. The firm that I worked with, you know, had like one or two females. Everyone else was male. And it was that experience. And I thought, well, I can't I can't relate to anyone. You know, I'm a female and being ethnic minority, I I can't see anyone who looks like me on on that side. And similarly, I'm sure you you know you can you, you see this as well with with tech. There's a lot of male um, yeah. counterparts, aren't there? Like especially in those leadership positions. And um, I'm very lucky, very fortunate that the company I work for now is you know we have a female CEO, and it's brilliant to have a female CEO because for me that represents diversity. You know, you've got females on the boards making decisions. You know, um, empowering other women within the team, and and that that means a lot to me. And you know, and but similarly, you know. Um, seeing leadership positions uh, where there's ethnic minorities is my next thing I, you know I'd love to see people who look like me on these high levels and I'm and I know slowly we are seeing that now but it'd be great to see a bit more of because when mm-hmm. I was in the NHS and I was starting up in this whole career going into board meetings there was just it was just a table full of white men yeah and, and you know I there was no re- relevance to me I couldn't relate I couldn't put my point across about you know well what about these sort of patients who might experience this or that and because of cultural barriers yeah. I couldn't I couldn't say any of that because I felt like no one would understand so we, you know there's the different pockets of things that are still happening but I think we are collectively working towards it which is really nice really like what you just mentioned as well about females being in leadership positions as well because you know something that I like to do on my platform is talk about you know women female leaders because again yes my career has predominantly been um in IT and I've always been perhaps the only female in the IT department now stepping into a retail I've I have worked with women um more women I guess but you're right the leadership levels are still very much the CIO is male a white male at, at that as too and it's about trying to not even trying but pushing and breaking down those barriers and I now know that going forwards both with my IT career as well as my coaching practices in the future if I'm going to go and work with industries and and go into them into different roles and jobs etc I will look at the board and I want to see even if it's a male but a male that's a person of color you know I, I don't want to keep working for these industries that are just continually led by the same 
breed of of man and it's not that I'm against that at all but it's about the fact that things need to change you know we're not in the 70s anymore it's 2020 you know we're living a completely different life and so I'm so happy that you, you mentioned that because I'm so passionate about breaking breaking those barriers down and really changing the face of leadership yeah absolutely I think it needs to be done because um there's going to be a whole generation of people coming into these careers um and they they're not gonna they're not gonna succeed because they will think that there's no one like them you know in in the career that they've chosen whatever it may be whether it's tech or it or whatever um so it's important not just for us now but for future generations to see that we've built something for them that they can aspire to be like or you know go to kind of thing so so yeah absolutely really important really important points fantastic Zara thank you so much for joining me today on Speak Female it has been such a pleasure talking to you I could sit and talk to you for ages you know what we're like especially with our um, Instagram lives thank you oh thank you so much for having me it's been really a, a great pleasure and a really good um break to my afternoon so thank you so much (laughs) my pleasure and thank you to you as well for listening check out the show notes to get contact details for both Syrah and I as well as some of the areas that we've discussed today and tune in for the next episode if you've enjoyed what we've spoken about today please feel free to comment share and like this podcast I've been your host Lucy Grimwade this podcast has been edited by Natalia Holly and remember Ambition isn't a dirty word.